another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, it's trade season, so I'm doing good. I'm excited, but also as someone who edits this podcast and tries to get it posted, this is the most nerve-wracking podcast of the year because <laughs> we're recording it on Wednesday night. The deadline is tomorrow, and I just hope nothing happens between now when we're speaking and when this goes live so it remains relevant. So that's that's going to be on my mind this entire time. <laughs> well, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. How's it going? Well, it's great to be with you guys again and uh, talking Kings basketball and NBA basketball and just basketball. It's all good. <laughs> well, um, we are uh, approaching the trade deadline very quickly. We have uh, a lot to talk about in terms of who we think uh, the Kings might swap for, whether or not they need to swap for anybody at all. Uh, but first, we'll we'll start at the uh, the view from a thousand feet. Kings are uh, six and two since last we spoke, with wins against the Hawks at home then setting off on their longest road trip of the season, which saw them nabbing wins against the Warriors, uh, the Mavericks, Grizzlies, Pacers, and Bulls, uh, while losing to the Heat and the hottest team in basketball on Monday night, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Guys, after a, a funky few weeks to start 2024, how have you felt the Kings have responded of late? Well, I, I think very well. I mean, the record kind of speaks for itself. You know, a, a five and two road trip. Certainly they've had their moments, you know, the, you know, the big lead, they just about lost against the Bulls. But, uh, you know, I would say that that's the NBA today. Boy, 20 points just doesn't mean much. You know, either, you know, you can come from behind and win like that, which we've seen, and you can lose from ahead like that. And uh, But so, yeah, overall, I, I think, you know, I think they're, as a team, they're getting a little bit better. But the, that's the good news. The bad news, they're in the West. Yeah. Tony, what about you? What have you felt about this uh, six and two over the last eight games? Yeah, it was great to get um, those road wins. That is not the Kings. You know, you can look at the schedule of who they played and say, all right, well, a lot of those games you should have won. A lot of those teams are under 500. The Kings are in theory better than, but we've seen this team drop games against inferior teams or struggle against inferior teams. So to see them put these games away, start to rack up more wins in the, in the Western conference is is good to see. That being said, it's a very tight pack there between five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Um, you know, so a few a few bad losses can put them in the play-in. Right now, they're sitting in a good spot uh, at fifth. But um, I don't know. It was a good road trip, but I'm still kind of if we're big picture. I still kind of feel the same about the Kings as I did last recording and the recording before that, where this is kind of a back half of the Western Conference playoff race team to me, and I have you know. A few games here and there could determine whether it's a home playoff series or a play-in game, and that is kind of a, a nervous spot to be in. Talk to me a little bit about the turnaround. Uh, what have you guys seen just out of this team that's different than these previous 10, 10 or so games beforehand? What really changed uh, on the Kings either as a team or individually that's got them kind of playing up to the level that the, that we expect of them now? Well, one thing I, I would say, I mean, Harrison Barnes is playing a lot better. 
And he, he's been, for the most part, been really a, a, a factor in, in about every game. And uh, I think consistent play from Lyles off the bench for the most part, which, uh, he, you know, to my mind, the bench just is very weak. And so hopefully they can strengthen that some way because Lyles and Monk and, and then what? But, uh, but, yeah, I think Harrison, you know, you've, I thought Savonis probably had his best stretch. Uh, you know, in the last several weeks, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what more, you know, he can, you know, what he could or should do. I don't know. If, you know, and then uh, take it the last thing I'd say is, you know, Fox hasn't been Fox. He's been, he's been good, but he hadn't been great. So I, I, I hope it's uh, just in fact, he's tired, you know, but I think that's a good sign for the Kings that they were able to do this, you know, with Fox not being at his best. Yeah, to me, um, Barnes has kind of turned into the player we thought the Kings needed to trade for. And I, I hope that stays, at least offensively. And I hope he stays at this level because I, I pulled the numbers too. Over the road trip, he's averaging 14 points a game, 43% from three, nearly 50% from the field. His contributions have been consistent, double-figure scoring in seven of the last eight games. Does that kind of change their their thought process heading into the deadline? I hope not because it's it's been a short stretch for Barnes, but you've seen the impact that having another good player on this roster means. And because to me, Barnes hasn't been that guy for most of the year. So it's like you suddenly add Barnes to the equation, a good version of Harrison Barnes. And it's not surprising to me that this team picked up a few more wins. Yeah. It seems to me like the pecking order has changed a little bit in terms of Barnes and Keegan's importance to the offense. I'm curious if you guys think this is a, like an organizational coaching thing where Mike Brown's gone, Hey, we need to get Harrison Barnes involved in this it's been three months and he just is slacking or if this is more of the players just kind of figuring out like, Oh wait, like we've got Harrison Barnes here. We get, we got to get him the ball a little bit more. You know, I, I would assume that the, the uh, coaches, I would like to believe the coaches have really encouraged them to be more aggressive and maybe trying to uh, get the team to focus on getting the ball in certain spots a little bit more. Uh, Having said that, I mean, it, it doesn't make any difference unless Harrison does it, uh, which he is. He's clearly being more aggressive. And I'd take one other stance. I I, I do think that uh, uh, Sabonis is really making an extra effort to find him. Yep. And and that, uh, you know, and so they, they seem to really be kind of clued in. It's probably taken away a little bit from Keegan, but then again, you know, that's on him a little bit. He's got to, you know, f find his own own niche a little more. And I, you know, I mean, I have nothing in my mind change on Keegan, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, Harrison has uh, definitely, you know, you're seeing Savonis, I think, look for him like we saw him really look for uh, uh, Vesnikov before he got hurt. You know, was, he'd always try to find him for baskets, get him going. We'll get into the trade deadline talk a little bit, but Jerry, I'm curious. Uh, did you ever see players like play better once you told them, Hey, we're not, you're not going anywhere. Is it, could this be a case of Harrison Barnes just realizing like Monty McNair came down from the office and went, you're not going anywhere this season, go out there and play ba basketball. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the players are, I know this shock you but they're, they're human and uh, you know and they're settled I mean players that are settled in their in the city and their home and their schools for their kids and all that yeah absolutely uh 
you know, contrary to what, you know, the national media and a lot of media would always say, you know, like nobody wants to be in Sacramento. Once they're here, very few want to leave. Uh, and that's been the true forever. And uh, so, you know, the so, so yeah, I, I definitely think that could be a, a real, real part of it that uh, somebody maybe said, look, we're, of course, you know, I mean, I think they might have told him that, which is probably true. I hope it was that they told him and that this has happened. Uh, but it could be after they tried every deal they could make. To, <laughs> and, and, and they knew they couldn't really make a move that's going to really improve them uh, that way. So anyway, it's a good point, though. Good question. With the way Barnes is playing, do you feel like he's off the table in terms of trades? Do you feel like he's not a piece that the Kings are going to look to swap now that he's playing in the way that he has over the last eight games? And should the last eight games or so really affect the Kings and, and what they think they can get for him or not pulling him from, from the trading block? Well, they, they should make any deal for anybody that can make the team better. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they need to be pretty sure of that. And uh, and there are certainly trades they could make that would make the team better, you know, regarding Harrison. But that doesn't mean the other team's going to do it. And so I think that's the problem they've got. I, I think Harrison's a good a good player and and he's under contract and and you you know let's face it we also have said this so you like somebody quite honestly better sure. but uh you know siakam was say one that was but clearly uh there wasn't a deal there and yeah. and and so yeah i i had an obi i mean the same kind of thing yeah there are a couple of guys that you could see that would have been had a chance to make you a notch better but uh so i guess what i'm trying to say is i i don't think there's a deal for harrison that's going to improve the team but not not now tony would uh harrison's recent play kind of give you cause to pause a little bit in terms of trading him not really mostly because and this is no fault of harrison barnes it's just this is the roster the kings have he is the most tradable player on the roster. And that's just, I mean, if you're going to acquire someone that also has a large salary, there's just, you know, you're not going to move Fox. You're not going to move Sabonis. Herder isn't quite there. Harrison Barnes makes about 19, 20 million a year, which lines up with a lot of big contracts in the NBA. So he almost has to be in any of these trade rumors. You talk Jeremy Grant, you talk Kyle Kuzma, anyone who's making above, you know, uh, MLE level money Barnes has to almost be the return back unless you start combining several players. So I don't think the rumors for Harrison Barnes, unfortunately for him are ever going to go away as long as he's with the Kings. Cause that's, they're always going to be trying to get better. And his contract is just the easiest one to match in so many of these larger deals. So his recent play wouldn't really change my mind in any type of way. And I don't think just by the logistics, I don't think it could change Monty McNair's mind either. I think uh, James Ham had an interesting note today where he mentioned how, um, the Kings have been trying to uh, have conversations with Portland about Jeremy Grant. And to this point, uh, Portland has continued to tell them no to their current offers. I mean, Harrison Barnes, it would clearly be in that in that sort of package. So it's like you see any type of rumor with the Kings and a big money player. It's I mean, I would almost guarantee 80, 90 percent that Barnes is in those deals just because of the money involved. So unfortunately, this is Barnes's. this is his cross to bear with the Kings. He will be the guy in the most trade rumors. Yeah, I think the only, you know, probably Herder to some degree, uh, Davion Mitchell certainly to yeah. some degree. Those would be the three guys. 
uh, then it becomes, okay, who can you trade for, you know, and get that's better uh, yeah. under the circumstances. And as you mentioned, like Jeremy Grant, uh, uh, well, why, you know, I always say, like, why would Portland do that? Uh, you know, they're a young team rebuilding. Well, Harrison is, is older than Jeremy Grant. Yeah. And so, and under contract for a long time like Grant. And so it just, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, not likely to happen. We're going to move on to some bonus here for a second. Um, during that road trip, he broke Oscar Robertson's single season franchise record for most consecutive double doubles. He is in his last game averaging 17 and a half points, nine assists, nearly 16 rebounds, a tenth of a, of, of a rebound away from 16 rebounds. He's playing, Jerry, as you said, maybe the best stretch of basketball he's had in Sacramento. Um, what do you guys think is going on here with, with Sabonis where he is just outperforming every single thing that, at least for me, what I would have expected from Sabonis when he came over from, from Indiana? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I do think that, uh, you know, he has developed a little more to his game. I, I, I think, you know, he's obviously his three-point shooting is terrific. He doesn't take many, but he's shooting 43% from there. He should, he should shoot more. The ball looks pretty good. Uh, you know, you see the little fadeaway every now and then that you never saw before, uh, you know, and he uses right hand better. So all those things offensively are part of it. And, and I think there's, you know, kind of one other thing that has helped him. You're into the middle of the season, guys are tired, and he's just a work. I mean, he's just a t yeah. never takes a play off. Mm -hmm. And most guys take a lot of plays off. And and that, uh, you know, I always said he, he reminds me, and I, I probably told this story, and I'd probably bore everybody, but I always remember talking to, to Larry Bird about it, you know, when he was averaging 11 rebounds a game as a small forward and I think third in the league. And, and I said, man, Larry, you could, you know, you might lead the league in rebounding. I said, you're, you're really top flight rebound. He said, nah, I'm not very good. He said, McHale is really good. He's a terrific rebounder. I said, wait a minute, Kevin's a power forward. He gets eight rebounds a game. You get 11. He said, yeah, but I try to get a hundred and he only tries to get 10. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and honestly, I think that's a lot of Sabonis. I mean, he's trying to get them all. Sure. You know, he just tries to get more of them than most guys. Tony, talk to me about your impressions of uh, Sabonis of late. Well, I mean, everyone's talked about his, how important he is for this team offensively. Jerry even mentioned how him being more responsible than anyone else and getting Harrison Barnes, uh, more looks, which makes a ton of sense to me too. He is the point guard of this roster. But one thing about Sabonis that I think has maybe gone underrated, especially by me, um, the Kings are the best team in the league at limiting offensive rebounds from other, from opponents. And we talk about defense and we think of steals and blocks and uh, all the standard defensive metrics, but second chance points is another part of this. And I do think the Kings are slowly climbing up the defensive rankings. And I think a Part of that, you know, they're not any better at defending the three. You know, the three-pointers are still going in at a, at a super high clip. But they are very good at is controlling the defensive glass and limiting second-chance points, which to me has to count for something. So I know Sabonis gets a lot of criticism on what he doesn't do defensively in protecting the paint. We can all see that he doesn't block a lot of shots. I get it. But there should be some, I guess, some extra credits, some, uh, some alternative credits to him for how much he controls the glass and doesn't allow for second chance points. And I think the Kings have benefited from that uh, 
in this stretch from him as much as anything else they're benefiting from Sabonis. You know, one other thing about his defense, and there's no question, he just does not protect the basket well. That's He's not a long-arm guy, and he's maybe barely 6'10", yeah. uh, you know. But but I tell you what he does do, I think he doesn't get credit for, for as a center. I'm not saying he's great guarding wings, but, but he gets out there on them. I mean, and you don't see very many centers. I mean, generally speaking, when a center has to switch out on a wing, it, it's 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 a basket, and uh, and you get those mismatches. And he's not an automatic mismatch, and and I, I think that kind of goes underappreciated. And of course, part of it goes back to he just works so hard. He just works so hard. That's all, that's all. He just I mean he's a he's a damn marvel. That's what I say. So we'll roll this into then uh, the all-star selections. Obviously, uh, everyone in Sacramento knows that the Western Conference reserves were named. It's Devin Booker, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Anthony Edwards, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Carl Anthony Towns, no Demonis Sabonis, no De'Aaron Fox. Is this just a case of, hey, there's too many good players in too few spots? Or do you guys feel like Fox or Sabonis were legitimately snubbed for making the all-star game? Well, I, I think one of them should have made it. And you could make a case for either, and you could make a case over certain other people. Now, having said that, and I was, you know, on another podcast earlier talking about this, and my feeling is there's nobody on there that doesn't deserve to be there. Yeah, you know, they're they're you know the truth is there's 17 or 18 legitimate all stars in the West. Uh, do I think some bonus should have pro- probably more so than Fox? I think there's so many more guards. But but I, I thought Sabonis, you could make a case for him over Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I mean, I think I think the thing there was, you know, Towns getting a sixty point game, you know, bef- sure. that that sort of thing. And but but a second guy there, and uh, but you know, <laughs> the the guy I thought really probably didn't deserve to be there, in my opinion, is Paul George. Yep. yep. You know, I think he's the third best player on that team, and. Uh, and so, and, and, you know, they're, they're probably the best team in the league right now, but I still think that that was the guy that if you look at it, Sabonis by far deserved to be on there more than Paul George, uh, you know, Anthony Davis, as much as I hate the Lakers, I mean, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis and, you know, should they have two guys? Well, they're going to, you know, uh, basically LeBron's an automatic <laughs> and and so so I, I didn't have as big a problem with it, but I guess what I'd say is I think both guys are deserving. I think probably due to the positioning, I thought Sabonis was maybe had a better chance, and I think he should have been on there. I think that I think the uh, the the coaches miss, missed it on this. I really do. I'd like to say it's it's kind of the L.A. thing, and it's not as much Lakers as Clippers with me. I just think that. Paul, Paul George shouldn't have been on there. I kind of figure the coaches just didn't realize that there was a time that Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George just wouldn't be injured. I think they just assumed one of those three guys would be would be injured. Yeah. I'd like to see the last time all three of those guys were healthy at the same time. It was probably no, was, back when they were in high school. Still time. Still time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tony, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like uh, from the fans' perspective, were they snubbed, or do you feel like it's kind of a – it's just time to open it up to 15 instead of 12 on the roster? My initial reaction was this is a travesty, and then I looked at who made it, and I really tried to make a case for Sabonis or Fox. And you you can, 
Like you can make, like Jerry did, you can make a case for Sabonis uh, over Paul George. I even think the argument against Anthony Davis is okay just because the Lakers are ninth and they already have LeBron. And I would even say uh, his numbers are pretty comparable with Carl Towns, who I thought maybe could have split some of the votes with Gobert as giving them, but I mean, Gobert didn't make it either. And then on Fox's side, um, uh, he's not better than Steph Curry, so it's a really hard argument to make. But the Warriors are in 11th place. Curry was the only all-star from a non-even play-in team. Um, and I think his numbers are pretty comparable to Devin Booker. But when you look at like that, those are 50-50 calls at best. So how upset can I actually be? But Will, you brought up something that I was going to ask you and Jerry, is the idea of opening this up to 15 players. I always thought that was a silly idea. Like, why do this? Do we need more all-stars? What's the point? I was listening to JJ Reddick's podcast, and he made the first argument I've ever heard for the 15-player issue that I thought was kind of interesting, and I'm curious if this changes any of your minds either, is that when uh, the All-Stars, uh, were when it was limited to 12 players, something like uh, the top 12% of players made the All-Star game. But since the expansion and adding more two-way contracts, now it's like the top 6% players make it into the NBA just because the pool has widened. And to me, that was the first actually data-driven argument that, yeah, if we go back to like the top 10% of players make it, then it would be 15 as the number. So I don't know if that makes that any more compelling to you guys to open it up, considering the player pool and expansion has kind of made it harder for only 12 guys to make it. You know, I, I totally agree with that. I, and for this reason, I mean, the game is a sham anyway. Uh, you know (laughs) yeah so so but i mean so it's it's a reward and so for for outstanding play and 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 it's you know by going to 15 then there's there's still going to be guys screwed over but it's fewer deserving you know type thing and uh uh, and then the part probably most of the guys if if they got the uh, honor of being named all-star and the money in their contracts for making all-stars they really wouldn't care about playing in the all-star game they'd rather have the time off i mean that that's i'm convinced that's exactly it but i i get it it's like yeah well if you've got about every player now has a has a bonus in there if you make the all-star team and so now you know uh so if you can find a way to reward you know, deserving players and have three more spots. I think it makes perfect sense that most of them don't care if they play more than a couple of minutes anyway, if they're there, you know. Yeah, I'm kind of in a grant. And I I think it is going to happen, Tony. I think it's one of those things that they're going to wait until expansion and they're going to use that as an excuse to revamp a lot of different things. And it'll be like, well, we got a team in Seattle now. Now, now we got to push it, you know, well, the excuse has always been there to push it to 15. And I like JJ's argument to it, but it's one of those things that I think they're going to wait until you've got it. You get a team in Vegas or a team in Seattle or whatever, be like, Oh, well now it's time to open it up again and they'll do it, but it's coming. I feel like it's just a matter of the right time to, to uh, the, the, the best uh, scenario of in terms of publicity. And that, that feels like the right time for me. I would do it today if I could, but it feels like it's just coming down the road at some point. Okay, so um, Keegan Murray was named to the Rising Stars game again. Uh, shockingly, Kevin Herter was not asked to return to defend his uh, eight points in the three-point contest. Uh, you guys have any hot, any hot takes, any feelings towards either of those uh, bits of news? Well, I, I think Keegan should have – I'd like seeing him in the three-point contest, to be truthful with it. I mean, I think he's got the kind of stroke that eventually – could do it because he, he's, you know, he doesn't jump. He, you know, basically he's got the 
the two feet on the ground, pretty catch quick, release quick. So I, I think, but, you know, no big deal now, but eventually in his career, that'll be, I think, a natural for him. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Herder, would, yeah, Kevin, I, I don't think would even, uh, if he'd been invited, would have been scared to death except yeah. after that showing last year. And uh, so, yeah, it's good, the rising thing. I, I don't really watch any of those things. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I watched a three-point contest. That's it, you know, because it's a skill. Uh, so I watched that. I mean, there's not much to add here. I would just say Keegan Murray not making the sophomore team would have been a bigger snub than Fox and Sabonis not making the all-star team. So this is true. Um, so any other all-star weekend uh, storylines that stand out to you? I know there's been some discussion about the slam dunk contest. Obviously, Jerry, you don't watch, but the slam dunk contest might be the weakest field of players I've I've seen in a while. It's Mac McClung, who's a G-leaguer. Jalen Brown, who's randomly decided to be in it. Uh, Jaime Hawkes Jr. from the Heat. And then Jacob Toppin. So I assume it's Obi Toppin's brother of some sort, who's also a G-leaguer. I, outside of Jalen Brown, I don't, I mean, okay, cool. Mac McClung's going to win it again. I feel like Jalen Brown can only lose this thing. He can't really win. If he wins, it's like, okay, you beat a bunch of G leaguers and a rookie. But outside yeah. of that, are there any other storylines that you guys have in terms of the all-star game? Well, it's certainly not the dunk contest. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, what a nightmare. you know, yeah, uh, yeah it's just, uh, yeah. gosh, it's just it's a depressing me. list of names. Well, I didn't even know that <laughs> Jacob Toppin, what are we doing? Jacob Toppin, yeah. Not even Obi Toppin. Not even Obi. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, I mean, you know, not, not don't mean to disparage uh, McClung, but I mean, when, when you have a G leaguer, a six foot one guy or two guy, wins the dunk contest and he was outstanding you know yeah it tells it what it does it says well geez how valuable is this particular skill i mean you know uh you know i mean it, it it's it's to me it's like you know judging uh figure skating or or uh, gymnastics you know it, you know when you let let guys run with the ball seven steps uh, well that's clearly not a skill. I mean, cause that's travel. So <laughs> at least three point guys, they're, they're, you know, they're just shooting the ball like they would if they were open in the game. So anyway, uh, anyway, like I say, I've said before, they could have the all-star game in a cul-de-sac in front of my house and I would not watch. <laughs> Last uh, all-star thoughts is the jerseys are actually good this year. They haven't been good in a while, but I thought the all-star game jerseys are actually kind of nice. I haven't seen them, but I assume they have gold somewhere on them. So we'll we'll say they are good. <laughs> sure. Well, until they until they have an Americans versus international All Star game, it, it will yeah. never be competitive. That's the only way it's going to really get the guys fired up to compete. Jerry, I think they're dodging that one because America doesn't want to get beat at their own game. Oh, I guarantee <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> okay. So we're going to roll through to uh, the trade deadline. Um, obviously, we've got that coming up tomorrow. Tony's going to rip this episode out as quick as possible. Uh, so that way you people can enjoy it prior to whoever the Kings trade for. The Kings trade for him. So um, uh, I guess I guess we'll start here. As the, as the approach of the deadline, um, what do you guys settled on the Kings doing? Do you guys feel like they are going to make a move? Do you feel like they're going to sit pat? Should they? And, and whatever you guys think is going to happen, should they do that? Or should they be the one making a move or staying pat? Well, I think they should try to make a move. I mean, this team 
as currently constructed is not going to win the West. Right. And uh, I mean, you know, would I love to be wrong? Sure. But I, you can't, you just can't believe that. And I, I think they've got, you know, two kind of positions of need, uh, a, a real athletic, four, another four or five kind of guy that can protect the rim a little better and uh, probably a two, three kind of wing that can defend. And so they've got kind of got two. Now, now, you know, if they could just even fix one of them, you know, that that would be good, you know? And I mean, are there guys maybe they could get, you know, they're not going to get this. I don't think the star type guy, what to my mind, this is a year where you look, you know, you have to kind of trust your basketball judgment, say this guy we, we might can get, and he's going to get better. You know, we're, you're betting on the come. I mean, like, like for me, just, a, just an example, uh, 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 Jalen Smith from the, from the Pacers. Now, see, I, I think that kid has got a chance to really take a, a major jump in the next year or two. Now, uh, would they trade him? I don't know. My guess is they might because they've, you know, added Siakam, they've got Toppin, they'd probably prefer to trade Toppin. But, but I mean, at some point, they, they might do that. So just, just of those things. And just one other point. I know a couple of years ago, I, I always remember uh, saying, saying, talking about players and stuff. And I, I took a lot of flack for it. And I, it turned out, I, I think I was right. It was when uh, the Kings had the ninth pick. And I said, you know, I think it'd be smart to consider trading it for somebody like a Kobe White. Yeah. Uh, who was the seventh pick, uh, you know, but he wasn't, you know, it's like most guys, he wasn't quite ready, but I'd remember, you know, it's like, Jesus, when he does play, he looks pretty good and he awfully good at Carolina, you know, and, and now, you know, now he's, you couldn't get him with <laughs> a lottery pick, <laughs> a low lottery pick. So, you know, but, but I mean, that's the kind of thing I think they, they have to kind of think about this guy that somebody might think is a little bit underachieving and they're tired of him, kind of like the Kings are with Davion. You know, if, if I'm a team that plays maybe a different style, I, I would say, man, you know, this guy, tough buckaroo, you know, we, we might, he might fit our system better than he fits theirs. Jerry, I will mention that uh, I was in the, uh, the slack today for the Kings Herald and somebody mentioned, it might've been Bryant, either Bryant or Jill, one of the smart ones. They, uh, they they mentioned you specifically calling Kobe White a couple of years ago and how nice that would have been now to have a guy like Kobe White coming off of the bench. Oh, well, thanks. So. I didn't see that. Well, bless their <laughs> you, hearts. I, uh, you are not alone in yeah. that one, Jerry. You were absolutely right on that. Well, yeah. But but I do think that that's the the task, so to speak. I mean, you know, you, you're you not going to get Rambanyana with the trade, but, uh, you know, you might get Vassell. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's things you can do, and and I think that the Kings don't have to hit a home run, but if they could just hit a solid single here, uh, yeah. it, it, it could make a real difference. Yeah, Tony, what about you? What do you think the Kings are going to do, and uh, who do you think you could see them trading for? You know, in in your mind. Well, there's a lot of different a lot of different roads to go down here. I think um, to Jerry's point, my the. the what I view as the best path and the one that I see I see as being most realistic, because I think the, the bigger fish they were going to hunt, like Siakam and OG, are gone. I don't think they have the assets for anyone better than that who might still move. Uh, to me, the best player 
currently that you could put together an offer for and acquire would be Kyle Kuzma. But I know there are people who are higher or lower on Kuzma, depending on what the Kings have to pay to get him. But I feel like he's kind of the ceiling as far as like who's available right now. That's pretty good that you could acquire. I like Jerry's path better though, where you're, you're kind of making bets on who the next guys will be. I think Aaron Neesmith is another example or anyone could have had Aaron Neesmith for about two years. Yep. He, uh, Indiana gave him a shot and he's turned into a very valuable wing. Um, Jalen Smith, you know, the Pacers may have already taken that shot and, and we'll be able to reap the rewards now because they got him when he was really low value. I don't know what his value is now. So I'd love to hunt for guys like that. I think PJ Washington uh, to a smaller extent, it could be some of that in, in Charlotte. The Charlotte situation is such a mess that it's hard to evaluate anyone there. And I know they just gave him a, a decent contract, but not a huge contract, but maybe there's something salvageable there at a position of need for the Kings. But that level of player, like a young guy who who maybe hasn't totally arrived yet, and if you can trust your draft evaluators, maybe it's someone that McNair liked in previous drafts that is now more available than they have been in the past. That to me, Isaiah Stewart's another one, that to me is the sweet spot of a young guy who can maybe have a bigger impact on the Kings than they had um, somewhere else because they can afford to get those guys. And then there's the like the DeLon Wright level of players where you're really talking eighth, 10th man where, yeah, I'll take them, but what impact are they really going to have on your playoff hopes? To me, on I just don't think it's that high. Um, if you can get someone better than that in that, like Jerry said, the Jalen Smith or PJ Washington type, I'd be pretty satisfied with that result at the end of the day on Thursday. I'll tell you one other guy, and this would be a total risk. You know, uh, it would be uh, Jonathan Isaac in yep. Orlando. Yeah. Yep. That guy, if he could stay healthy, get healthy and stay healthy, he's got star type potential. Now, he hadn't done it and he may never do it. <laughs> and <laughs> but it but it's all about the deal. You know, if uh, clearly there's not he's not a lot of minutes for him in, in Orlando now. And with yep. all the, you know, if it's a couple of seconds and something or even a future first five years from now and a couple of seconds it's like to me that's the kind of deal you take a chance on you know you know it's just like yeah we'll roll the dice on on a guy who probably good health coming out of college would you know he's a top five six guy and long a you know he's long can play i mean he's exactly what they need if healthy and, and that what you don't know, and of course you couldn't do that unless you had some reason to believe he would eventually be healthy. But uh, so I don't know. But anyway, I just all I know is the damn guy coming out of college was a guy you you'd want. Yeah, yeah. We we see guys like uh, obviously uh, Jeremy Grant. Portland seems to be kind of iffy on moving him. We've seen the Kings miss on OG and Siakam with uh, with the Raptors. Um, Zach Levine elected to have season ending foot surgery, uh, all these big, big game hunting type guys that we, we might've gone after that the Sacramento Kings might've gone after. They all seem to be dried up. Is there any reason that you guys see outside of, you know, is there any player, I guess you could see in terms of the bigger names that the Kings might go after, or do you feel like that path is pretty much closed down just based on the cost and, uh, and the general vibes of the league right now? Well, you know, I, I thought until Cleveland really got on a run, uh, Okoro might be available. Sure. Uh, and, and I thought he would really fill, check a lot of boxes. Uh, but I, I just can't believe, you know, the way they're going, I think they're pretty happy with keeping everybody they got. 
you know, one, one other guy that I just think would be, and it sounds like he might be available is Bruce Brown at Toronto yes, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know his contract may be bigger than you want, but the guy's a player. The guy's, yeah. he, he's a baller. And, uh, you know, he doesn't fit exactly what you're wanting for, but I know he'd be one of your eight best players. I, I know that for a fact. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, if, if Toronto's in the selling mood, you know, you probably ought to be look into it. All right. So I got a couple of questions here that I asked. I asked our um, contributors at the Kings Herald, whether or not they had questions for you two guys, uh, whether they had anything coming up on the trade deadline to see what, what, they came up with for, for questions for you guys and uh, Bryant and Kevin had some good questions. So we'll, we'll lay those out for you there. Um, Bryant asked, is there an outcome here where you'd consider this trade de- deadline a failure? Is there any outcome here where the Kings go out and do something or do to, don't do something where you'd see this deadline as a failure? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I think it, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's a. I wouldn't say it's a failure uh, if they don't do anything. But I'd consider it. You know, in, in this regard, is that if they don't do anything and the team doesn't get better or even slips, then it was a failure. Sure. Uh, you know, that, I don't know how you could slice the other way. Uh, you know, now if they don't do anything, the team, you know, basically the bench gets better and the guys everything goes and the team ends up fifth or whatever, then I'd say, well, so I'm hedging there, but, but I mean, that to me, that's the only way you look at it. you, sure. you, you know, uh, you, you want to get better. If you get better by from within, Vesnikov gets healthy and plays and really becomes a great contributor. Well, well, maybe that makes up for it, but so there's yes, both ways, but I, I sure would like to see them. The bench is so thin just to get a, another actual NBA player would be good. This is a shitty answer, but it it will be a failure if they fail. And I I mean that's <laughs> I think Bobby yeah. Marks um in his write up about the Kings trade deadline scenarios actually made a pretty sensible point. I I hate it, but it's sensible. And he mentioned that you know with this young core, it's it, it's not the worst thing in the world to give them two playoff runs to see what they have. And they've had one so far. And for as as knee-jerk as I like to be, as for as much as I like player movement, that's pretty sensible. I mean, Fox and Sabonis have both locked up for a while. Keegan Murray's young. You really only had one playoff run with these this group. And last year was such a whirlwind of a year where they were, you know, they were breaking a drought. So much energy was put into the regular season that if you if McNair wanted to give this roster largely another playoff run before really kind of making major changes, that reading that was like, all right, that's a pretty sensible position. I can understand this. I do think they need some help. So you can, you can do something and help the team without really tearing into the core and the core. I'm really talking about, you know, Keegan, um, Fox and Sabonis and Monk. And I guess you can throw Herder Barnes there if you want to really extend what the core is, but you can still make enough moves on the fringes to give them some help. So they're even better positioned to prove that they're worth not breaking up in the summer if they do fail in the playoffs. So I guess to answer Brian's question to me, it's, like you, you won't know by the deadline. You'll have to wait and see how the playoffs resolve themselves. I would not be optimistic on this team making out of the making out of the first round if they don't do anything. So I would call it a tentative failure, only because I would project that they would end up getting eliminated in the playoffs if they don't do anything. So I do think something is in order, but I 
you unfortunately you just can't label it a failure until you see how they how they play in the playoffs. I think the only way the Kings could fail, like I can be disappointed in a in a in a in a trade deadline. I've absolutely had that happen more times than not with Monty just because of who he is. But um, I think the only true failure would be trading for Miles Bridges. And I know we like Miles Bridges as the player. And Jerry, mm-hmm. he's another one of those guys that you were right on. You just didn't happen to know that he was a <laughs> wife and child abuser. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no. I think I'd pass on him. You know, the guy's a heck of a player, but boy, oh boy. You just yeah. Couldn't, you just, oh, you just couldn't do it. Yeah. And not that the Kings haven't brought in players that have been accused or have basically been confirmed of doing that kind of stuff either. But when you have Fox as your star, who is very obviously a family man, Demata Sabonis, your two main guys are are guys that are, hey, I go to work, I play excellent basketball, and I go home to my family. To drag another guy in like Miles Bridges into the mix feels like if you, if you want to kill the beam team vibes as quick as possible, I feel like that would be the way to do it is the guy has the guy scores 21 points a game and I I would not touch him with a 20 foot pole. And that's the only real failure in my mind. I don't think Money McNair, I think Money McNair is a smart enough guy to see the numbers and then look past the numbers into the the controversy around him and go, yeah, we're not going to screw up the chemistry here. Well, I, I here's so. a, well, here's the thing, though, Will, too, is that you always keep in mind that is a low life that he is and proven low sure. life that sure. there, there are teams that will gladly take him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's not wrong, unfortunately. And, and so, and that's a sad, sad, sad state of affairs. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, 100%. Um, Brian asked another question, and it was good enough. I want to roll this one out to you too, Jerry. He said, who's the guy that Jerry, and Tony, we'll amend this for you a little bit. Who's the guy Jerry wants the Kings to trade for, but he then will say that we all think he's senile for. So, Jerry, who's the craziest <laughs> person who's available that you would want to trade for, but we'd call you crazy for it? Well, I probably hit on two of them. I mean, yeah. already a, a Jonathan Isaac and, you know, a different levels of and J- and Jalen Smith. Those would be my, my, my two guys, you know, I, I, I really, you know, you know, over the years I've had my, you know, you know, desire for Nas Reed and but that didn't happen. And, and, and Bobby Portis and that didn't happen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so anyway, so those would be the two and, and, and and uh, definitely, there's a there's a risk and a stretch. Certainly more for Isaac, but but I I think that's those are kind of things I think are worth a real commitment to 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 see. Yeah, Tony, do you have a real crazy one? I do, but first I do want to say there is a little Bobby Portis might be uh, out of Milwaukee rumbling, so we shouldn't yeah. close the door on that one. I still think the Bobby Portis oh. move would be interesting for this team. Well, I do too. Um. But as far as crazy, I I'm I do not want this player, let me be clear. But today I did go to basketball reference and I looked at his numbers and I saw how much money he was making, and then I closed the page again. That player is Ben Simmons. I do not want Ben Simmons to be clear, but I did I did check back in on his numbers and his salary. And then I closed I closed the tab. That's as far as I'll go. No, no, no Ben. No Ben. No, no Ben. <laughs> We want to uh, be bit, we want to be binless. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's just a Homer one. I still think Alexi Pokashevsky is readily available. Oh, yeah, yes, he is. Sam Presti trades every single deadline. He always makes one move. He's he's ultimately the most available player you can think of. 
He averaged 1.3 blocks in 20 minutes and eight points a game when he was healthy last year. I think he's a guy that he's a bench guy, but he's somebody that you take a swing on just because it's going to cost you one second round pick or two if Sam Presti's getting real greedy with them. And you have a, a flyer on a guy who's seven foot one who can handle the ball, who could shoot, who could potentially play next to Sabonis, and who is still, I don't think he's more than 21 years old. He's still incredibly young. He would be maybe the youngest guy on our team. That's I know I know I'm that guy. I know I'm that guy for that particular player, but I still think I still think he's got something left well, in the tank. Well, I'm still a little bit, uh, and I think that's not a bad, you know, like say it, it's low risk, yeah. uh, maybe low reward, but yeah. uh, that's that's but that's that's the time to do. It. I mean, that's what you need to do. And uh, but one other of your old guys that I really I like. And I know his breath, Bamba, Mo yep. Bamba. Mo I, Bamba. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that is still young enough that should get better and given a, a little more opportunity. There's a chance. There's a chance. Yes. I'm like the, the dumb and dumber. There's a chance. <laughs> I actually believe in this player, but this one is, is just for Brian to get upset, out, uh, upset about when he hears it. Um, Kelly Olinick, I think, would be a very interesting fit on this team as another big shooter who can play with anyone. He can play with anyone on this roster. And, um, you know, he's, he's probably going to get moved to somebody. I don't know if the Kings will have the best offer there. And unfortunately for Bryant, I think it'd be a pretty good fit on this roster. He's a good player. You know, he's a good player. Yeah. I, I think his age, I don't know what his age is, but it, that'd be the only concern. I think maybe getting he 30 or maybe, but uh, ancient. Well, I mean, I think the only thing is think there, and it'd be like you know, you're looking at a short. I can see doing it. Don't get me wrong, but but that that would be the, you know, you'd prefer to have somebody younger, and you know, you, you know who Kelly Olynyk is. It, you know, he's a nice, solid player, uh, but uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like for him to get somebody that you think is going to be more than that with years ahead. Yeah. Okay, uh, this last question before we get to the Patreon question of the day comes from Kevin. Um, Kevin said for Jerry, and we're going to say for Tony too, uh, assuming the Kings don't make a move that impacts the starting lineup, how would you rank their bench needs in terms of which could potentially provide the greatest impact? And he listed specifically backup point guard, wing depth, or backup five. How would you rank those in terms of what the Kings, what would provide the greatest impact to the Kings? That's a great question. I I, th- I would... Uh... I think a backup, you know, probably four or five, and then a then a backup two three. I mean, basically wing and power guy. I, I would, you know, I, I think you'd want somebody versatile at both spots, you know, yeah. and and that's why, you know, like say a Thibel kind of guy at the wing, I think would be very valuable. Obviously, in my you know that I like Jalen Smith, so a guy like that that's lively and could shoot, and also. Uh, defend inside uh those kind that would be you know you're not getting stars but you're getting guys you think phil needs and make you better so don't know if you know if anybody would agree or or like i say even to a lesser note uh, the bruce brown kind of guy who isn't exactly what you want but he's he's a player <laughs> you know and so sometimes you just say well he he's better than a lot of guys we got sure. so that so that's there's no downside to that either 
sure. who who does guard people, yeah. you know, or at least you know makes a pass at it now and then. So. <laughs> Tony, uh, between the backup point guard, wing depth, and backup five, where do you feel like the Kings could get the greatest impact with the trade? I have a hard time calling this one, and and that's for good reasons and bad reasons. The good reasons are they have Monk and Lyles as their you know their stalwarts on the bench, and those are both flexible players. Lyles can play four and five, and Monk can play one, two, or you know, three off the bench, if you wanted to call him that. So they have the luxury of adding any best player to that unit. And it'd be a pretty good lift. That also means on the other end that they have, you know, only two good consistent players off the bench right now. So I, the bench clearly needs help and I will cop out answer and just say, get me the best player available at any, at any position. And they can find a way to play with Monk and Lyles being the only two guys that I really care about getting consistent minutes on this bench unit. And the other guy that I think is, being underutilized with the Kings is um, Keon Ellis. I'm not sure why he fell out of the rotation or, or what Mike Brown is seeing there, but I'd like to see Keon Ellis get another run with Monk and Lyles and whoever else they acquire as kind of becoming th- that bench unit for the second half of the season. I just think he showed the most in the limited minutes that he received, and I'm kind of just intrigued to see more of that, especially on his on the defensive end. And he was shooting the ball well enough, too, that I think he earned a few more minutes, another look there. You know, I, I really agree with you on that, Tony. I, I, I've kind of thought that for some time. You know, it's like he's not as good on defensively on point guards as Davion, but he's better on two guard. You know, when he's when you yeah. get all these switches and you do and with this team, so defensively he in his own way he's better. Uh, yeah. and, and then of course, you know, he's he's a better shot maker. And I thought even when he didn't when he played and didn't score he really had a way of kind of being valuable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, that, and that's important, you know, for a limited minute guy, just find a way to be valuable. And it seems like to me, he might, you know, other than Lyles and Monk, I, I think he might be your best shot, to be honest. Do you think any of that has to do with him being on a two-way contract and the fact that they can only play a certain number of games before they either have to be converted or moved permanently down to the G League? Do you think they're trying to save some of those for the second half of the season might be. And I, I would, you know, if that's the case and that's very smart and I hope so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to accuse somebody of being smart at any point, but it, it just felt like the, <laughs> the only explanation I could think of was like, Oh, maybe they're just holding him back because they need him for later in the season. In that case, just convert his contract, but I digress. Okay. Tony, we're going to roll over you for the uh, Patreon question of the day. Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash kingsherald or the website or on Twitter. Uh, and any question that you ask will get answered either here on the main show or once a month, we record a Patreon-exclusive Q&A where we ask all of the leftover questions. So keep submitting them and they will get answered somewhere, whether it's here or on Patreon. Today's question comes from Daniel Schultz. And Daniel asks, I'm sure y'all are going to talk about trade targets, but I'm more interested in trade costs. Almost everyone thinks that the Kings should make a trade, but how much should they be looking at giving up given that they're in slash around the play-in rather than a top four seed? Hmm. Well, that's a lot to that. I, I mean, uh, I don't know that I even totally understand it, uh, exactly what, what he's asking there. Uh, I think the the what he's getting at is like, if you're, do you think the Kings are good enough to trade a first round pick? Like, have they have they kind of earned the right 
to make a big move like that where you're kind of mortgaging some of your future assets to add something to this roster, given that they they could fall into the play. And like this isn't a top four seed like they were last year where you could say, all right, now's the time that we kind of put more chips on the table. How much chips are you willing to put on the table, I guess, for what this team has accomplished so far? Yeah, that's well now, yeah, I, I now I kind of understand it. And I my guess my feeling would be this. Uh you know, if a first round late, it's gonna be a late later first round pick. Yeah. So uh so now take that into the equation. Okay. Now if you could trade that pick for I think a, a proven player, all right, a proven player that is fallen out of love, you know, with somebody, but you you really like. And, and you think will make you better. And he's say 25 or six years old. Sure. Why not? Uh, you know, uh, your window's your window. And so as long as he's not a 35 year old guy or something, but if you can get a guy that you think is good enough to be a top eight guy on your team right now, I would trade that first, first round pick in a minute. Cause there's, as we most of us know by now, that there's an excellent chance that first round pick won't even be any good. Yeah. <laughs> and and that the guy that's picked uh, 50 spots later will be good, you know, or so so yeah, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't hesitate at all uh, on that if, if but it, it comes down to okay, I think age is important. And of course, you know you, you feel this guy will be in your top eight. So that makes you better makes you better now and it should make you better next year and year after. What's kind of interesting to me about this question too, is that when the Kings traded for Sabonis, they weren't anywhere near, you know, the, the playoff, playoff seating. So Monty was willing to go as all in as it gets trading Halliburton for Sabonis for a team that was not, you know, didn't really have much playoff hopes at all. So will does, does where the Kings are positioned in the West change anything about what you'd look to do at the deadline if you're the Kings? No, because I think this year we are, I mean, I think we oversell a little bit in in fans' minds that we were the third seed last year. You know, we were the third seed. So, you know, this year we're only the fifth seed. And like where you look at it, a lot of years, 48 wins is getting you fifth or sixth seed. We just happened to be in a year where it got us the third seed. I don't, you know. I think we are in the same place as we were last season. We talked about this, all of us on the podcast. There is a good chance the Kings have a better record and a worse seed than than they were. And that seems to be playing out. The Kings could have a 50-win season and still be a 5-6-7 seed. And that's just how it is. If the Kings were in the Lakers spot, if the Kings were 12th, yeah, okay, don't give up that first-round pick even though we have these guys because that might be a lotto pick. And even as Jerry mentioned, that eighth, you know, you know, you might have a lotto pick that doesn't pan out. We're looking at that now with Davion Mitchell, where I don't think he's a top eight guy on our roster and he was a lotto pick. But unless we were truly, truly struggling and we really needed this piece, no, trade it. Trade it. Find yourself a, a vet that is going to to help you get from a, you know, a, a blowout uh, in the playoffs to losing in six games. OK, then we see what we get next season. But I I have no trouble trading that pick because we are, you know, there's, there's no distinguishing in my mind if we're the third seed or the sixth seed, those are so close in the West this season. That doesn't really, doesn't really make a difference to me. Yeah. And just back on that too, is it, you know, still, I think the, just the philosophy should be, does it make us better and does it fit? 
yep. fit going forward. Uh, uh, and and if you're concerned about the pick, hey, you put the restrictions on it. You know, I would say, okay, we we you don't get it uh, unless it's past the twentieth or something like that. I mean, you know, it'd be, you know, you can protect yourself if you're worried about it. You know, being a team falling down and being a top five pick or something like that. Of course, but you you can you can protect yourself. So anyway, that, I hope that answers it. But but it's a really good question, I think. But that's the kind of questions, and that's the kind of things you have to think about. Yeah. In other words, you know, I've always said there's a reason the Kings got good back in the 2000s was because of taking some, making some trades that looked risky to some degree, uh, or were lateral at, to to other degrees, but it fit better. And right. if you and if you don't do that. Uh, you don't get better. Can I uh, attach some names to this question just to see where everyone's at on a certain player? Because I think sure. um, another part of this question to me is like just the the fact that it's it's costing a lot to get good players right now in the NBA. So would you like would you trade a first round pick and you'd have to match salaries? So let's say Harrison Barnes or whoever else you want to get there for Kyle Kuzma, or is that to Daniel's point? Is that cost? too high to acquire a player that you think could help you, but to what degree he helps you, I guess is up for debate. Well, that probably is the kind of question that needs to be asked because that's <laughs> probably the the deal that maybe could be made. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, uh, money-wise, it, it's a wash. Uh, yeah. Talent-wise, uh, Kuzma's a more talented player. And so, and he's younger. So now you say, well, that's, Okay, do that. Well, this, but there's another thing. Does does he fit the team as well in the locker as well? Now, I I couldn't answer that, uh, and I don't know. You, you'd have to do a lot of research, I think. You, yeah. you know, yeah. in my mind, you you need to talk to a lot of people that have, have know Kyle Kuzma and coached him and been around him, teammate, former teammates, things like that. Because one thing about Harrison Barnes, he's 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 a, a great teammate, great in the locker room, pros pro. Now, Kyle doesn't have to be that because he is more talented and he's younger. <laughs> and so if he can come in and be a third, fourth guy without being a ball stopper and pouting, uh, you know, which is, you know, there's always a risk of that, by the way. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, That's why I said about Zach Levine. I was never interested in that because I really do think he's a great talent. It's a ball stopper and, and you know, gets you 25 points on 20 shots and gets you beat quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't mind the Kyle Kuzma cost at all. I, I think I think Jerry's right. You have to do your research in order to make sure that Kyle is a guy that isn't going to stand out or fit out, I guess. Like we, we want him to be able to mesh in. But I, you know, I think I think that if Monty McNair trades a first round pick and Harrison Barnes for Kyle Kuzma, I trust that he's done that research. And I would not yeah. I would not freak out about it. I would not flip out. You know, if it was Kyle Kuzma, two first round picks, and I think the deal was or it was Kuzma and and Delon Wright for that and two picks. It'd be one of those things. You, okay, all right. Well, now we're in it. You know, now uh, this is the team. We're we're kind of locked into this team. Let's let's see him grow over the next three or four years. But it would not be something where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There would be hesitation. I would be concerned 
mm-hmm. you know, just in general, but like this is not four or five first round picks for Rudy Gobert or for Kevin Durant or anything else like that. It, the Kings are still flexible enough that they'd be able to make moves around the fringes to get better. So I would be fine with it. You know, I, I would say also just one final thing. I would feel more comfortable, I think, with Kuzma than Jeremy Grant. I just yep. uh, I like his size a little better and uh, his age a little better. And uh, yep. he's been on, you know, big winners. And so, you know, so is Grant to some degree, not lately. But so anyway, yeah, I I mean, if, if you're, you know, that would be a nice, that would be a, a you know, some risk, uh, but I, but I'm with you, Will. I think non money. I don't think he does anything, which is, as a fan, I really appreciate because I don't think he'd do anything, you know, just because this guy's better than that guy. Yeah, yeah that you you don't you don't want you know you don't want to do that because that can uh, that can tear things up, not make it better. Okay, Jerry, we're going to run over to you for the uh, Reynolds wrap up. What do you got for us? Well. I was just, uh, you know, thinking uh, about uh, everything going on, you know, and I celebrate my 80th birthday and, you know, people talking about, you know, how, how is it getting older? And, you know, I don't, you know, being eight decades old is, is not, you know, not something I'd recommend. I mean, uh, probably the only person that, that might listen to this show would, would understand that to some degree is Rob Hessing. I don't know anybody else would, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, the thing, you know, I, I, I was just thinking the other day, I, uh, uh, the only thing I can say, you know, about uh, aging is it's the best way to live a long life. You know, I don't know any other way. <laughs> And so, so that's kind of what I'm going to go with. And for those young people, you young people out there, it's like, hey, just keep aging, and you'll live a long time. You're trying, yeah. Yeah, I gotta say, I I, I typed this out beforehand because I figured you were going to brag about your Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So, um, well, I'm a little scared. I'm a little scared. <laughs> I, I no, I'm not. You know, and I have to say, I really like the Niners. I've, I've enjoyed yep. them. I mean, they're my number two. And if they beat the Chiefs, I I won't pout too long. You know, it'll be a couple hour pout. But uh, yeah, but the thing about the Chiefies, you know, for you Niner fans, uh, number fifteen, uh, you know, he's the best player in the world. And that in itself is a big advantage. So, uh, Jerry, we just want to say uh, this is this is from everyone at the Kings Herald. Uh, you've been a blessing to the city, uh, to our only professional sports franchise, to the little collective of basketball nerds at the Kings Herald, to Tony and I personally now for a few years. Uh, the city of Sacramento wouldn't be the same. The story of the Kings franchise couldn't be told without your contributions. And so from everyone at the Kings Herald, and I get to speak on behalf of the city and Kings fans everywhere, Happy 80th birthday, sir. We, you know, everyone at the King's Herald wishes you a happy 80th birthday. So here's the 80 more birthdays, if you don't mind. Well, are you are you sure everybody at the Herald is there somebody? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a fan or two that maybe yeah, <laughs> yeah, I get fed up with you. But... They're saying, yeah, you've had enough. You've had a lot of <laughs> All the contributors. We'll say all the writers at the King's Herald. We'll start there. Well, yeah, well, that's uh, you know, I always say that's that's the thing about uh, getting old too. You know, you. you you don't, uh, you know, you don't have to uh, uh, basically get old. You can be immature forever, and that, uh, and and that's my my always been my plan. I I may be old, but I'm still immature. 
Well, happy 60th, 20th birthday. Yeah, that there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, from everyone uh, at the King's Herald, on behalf of Jerry and Tony, I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. Um, we'll we'll uh we'll see you in two weeks uh, with a either a totally remade roster or absolutely nothing having changed. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're running over to do a Patreon episode right now, which you'll 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 hear in the uh, the waning weeks. And uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>